Corbin Burns, Juan Soto. There is always a lot of talk about free agents during the offseason, but what about the trade market? Discussing which big-time trade candidates the D-backs should consider going after this offseason. You are locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. I'm your host, Miller Thomas, been hosting this podcast since 2020, and now the D-backs face one of their biggest off-seasons coming off a World Series, and we're going to be talking about some trade candidates that the D-backs should be looking after and targeting this free agency period. But before we get there, just want to say... Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without my loyal listeners, which is you guys. So thank you so much. Please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio to see all my latest work. And please follow the show account on Twitter, Locked on Dimebacks on YouTube, Locked on Dimebacks, and wherever you're streaming podcasting platforms. But now, let's get into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. We'll be talking about players who shouldn't return in segment number three. We'll talk about tier one trade candidates the D-backs should go after in segment number two. But let's actually talk about why the D-backs should consider making a move via trade as opposed to just signing someone in free agency because I don't think it would be a bad idea at all. If the D-backs wanted to consolidate their farm system, package some pieces to go to package some pieces together and go out there and try to acquire a real star via trade. To be honest, the free agency market this year is not super strong. Of course, you got guys like Shohei Otani, who is the greatest major leaguer of all time on the market, but after him, you got Yamamoto, who's really good. You got players like Cody Bellinger, who's really good as well. But this is not like the, the free agency class we saw the last two off seasons where you saw superstar shortstops and pitchers. Like there's some very good all-star MVP Cy Young type players in this free agency class. I just don't think the depth of star power is there. So maybe the D-back should think about acquiring a star via a trade. And with this team coming off a World Series appearance, I think they need to focus on winning right now. And sometimes you have to trade away your farm system, some pieces there to build a sustainable winner. Obviously, a farm system also helps you with sustainable winner if those guys turn into good players. But we all know how much of a crapshoot prospects are. So it's like, why not consolidate some of those guys to go out there and try to maximize the roster you have right now. With the ceiling we just saw from this team, I think Hazen has to do everything in his power to build the correct roster around the core that we currently have. And I think we can't be afraid to make moves this offseason. You can't just make moves with the perspective of 
how's the money going to look? How about long-term implications? Like all those variables matter, of course, but it's like at some point you got to just take the risk. Sports are about taking risks and gambles, and sometimes they work out, and sometimes they don't. Look at the Toronto Raptors when they acquired Kawhi Leonard. They acquired a superstar player who was going to leave in one year's time, and they were able to maximize that situation and win a championship. Or you can look at the Thunder when they acquired Paul George, and it's like, Paul George is not going to stay with OKC. He ended up staying there for a couple seasons, and it ended up working out for OKC. So it's like sometimes you don't know when you acquire a player what their future is going to hold. Sometimes you just got to take the risk, and it can work out for you. I think a lot of the times when you look at Major League Baseball trades, I think they do end up working out for the team that acquires the best player. And for this D-backs team, they have a bunch of young players who could be major leaguers right now or are close to the major league level, but don't really have an option to get reps with this current D-backs team because this D-backs team currently has a lot of players at a lot of positions of need, and they're going to be at those positions for the next couple years for the foreseeable future. Like, Corbin Carroll's not going anywhere. Ketel Marte's not going anywhere. Christian Walker should have first base lockdown for a couple years there. So it's like there's a bunch of positions where you already have a guy locked in or there's already guys there getting the opportunities and the reps. Like Perdomo probably will be the starting shortstop next season or at least some starter on the D-backs left side of the infield. So that's like already another spot locked up. So if you're going to have all these Guys who are close to being Major League ready, why not trade some of them off? To be honest, unless you're a Corbin Carroll, you're probably a shaky prospect whose chances of busting is as high as being the player that we thought you could be. Just look at the development of some of the top D-backs prospects over the last few years to just illustrate how much we just don't know about these prospects in terms of hitting on the kind of major leaguer we think they can be because even a guy like Alec Thomas, number one prospect for the D-backs at the end of 2022, he's had a very up and down career for the D-backs. Was he a can't miss player like Corbin Carroll? No, but everyone thought with his hitting tool, that was at least going to make him like a 280 hitter, a solid OBP. Everyone was like, it's going to be a 280 hitter, around an 800 OPS, probably 15 home runs, 15 to 20 stolen bases, elite defense, but should be a borderline all-star. And Alec Thomas can still turn into that player. But from the first two seasons that we've seen from Thomas, there's still a lot of development to be had. Christian Robinson... There's been a lot of issues with his development, but he had the number one ranking there for a couple years. John Duplantier, number one ranking in 2019. Taylor Widener was number two in 2019. Paven Smith, number two, 2018. Anthony Banda, number one, 2017. Braden Shipley uh, was number one in 2016. Like when you look at the D backs, top prospects really since 2016, like. No one has really hit for the D-backs. Corbin Carroll is probably the top prospect for a little bit there. But if you just go at the year-end rankings on MLB.com year after year, like the guy who was number one for the D-backs at the end of the year kind of wasn't really that good of a major leaguer if you look at like the last 10 years. Alec Thomas is probably the best major leaguer that the D-backs have produced from their number one spot since 2016. So that just tells you how much the prospect rankings are just a crapshoot. Unless you're a can't-miss guy like Corbin Carroll... 
Like it's probably better to sell your value when it's at its highest. And maybe that's what the D-backs can do with some of their minor leaguers who are ready to be graduated to the major league level. You got guys like Jake McCarthy, who is coming off a down season, but had a breakout year just a year prior. Maybe someone will buy the bounce back of Jake McCarthy. A Dominic Fletcher, very good in a small sample size last year. Crushed AAA pitching. Maybe someone wants to buy him. Jorge Barosa, a little undersized, but really good AAA numbers, ready to be graduated to the major league level. Maybe someone wants to take a shot at him. We all love Ivan Melendez and Devin De Los Santos, but they're both third basemen, and they both probably can't hit their ceiling playing the same position unless we move one of them to DH. So why not think about trading one of those players? Like, there's so many pitchers, outfielders, corner infielders that the D-backs could trade that are pretty close to Major League ready, and it's like, why not do that? Why not maximize the prospects for stars that you currently have? Because I think teams who do that are usually the ones who are winning deals in Major League Baseball. When you look at MLB trades over the last 20 years, like how many times did the team that was giving away the best player, how many times did they win that trade? Unless that guy was already like mid-30s, on the decline, broken down, bunch of injuries. Like A lot of times, the, the team that acquires the best player wins that deal. The D-backs know this firsthand with the own with, with their own trades that they made during the Mike Hazen era. With the Paul Goldschmidt trade, right? You look at that deal. You're acquiring two top prospects who were already playing on the major league level. You already saw flashes on the major league level. You already had a decent sample size for those guys against major league pitching or against major league bats. And they still weren't able to hit their ceiling. The deal with the Astros. You got back three or uh, you got back three of the top five. Houston prospects in your Granky deal. J.B. Berskakis and Corbin Martin. Berskakis was projected to be maybe an elite back-end closer. Corbin Martin was projected to maybe be a number two or number three starter in your rotation. Both of, the, both of them ended up just straight up sucking, and now I don't even know where they are, to be honest. I mean, they still might be on this D-backs roster. Like, that's how little I care about those guys right now. D-backs should trade away the prospects that they know deep down aren't going to become stars. If you want to, if you don't want to give up a Drew Jones or Brandon Fott, I get that because you think Drew Jones could be a cost-controlled star for many years to come. If you still think the guy who you drafted out of high school still has that 30-30, 40-40 potential, true superstar next to Corbin Carroll on the outfield, then yeah, you don't trade him. If you still think Brandon Fott could be 180, 220 strikeout machine, 200 innings pitch on the major league level, frontline starter for you, then yeah, you don't trade him. But if the player's bust potential is as high as their ceiling, then maybe you do trade them. Now, maybe you want to trade for a guy who's already locked up or maybe arbitration eligible because that would be the smartest in terms of team building to trade for guys who already have some length on their contract. But I also wouldn't let a pending free agent scare me either. So I already know folks wouldn't want to trade for a pending free agent because they are scared of either them leaving after a year or you giving up way too much stuff to sign them or you're giving up way too much stuff to acquire them. We could just sign them for nothing in the offseason. But it's like 
I would rather just have the talented player in the building instead of maybe hoping to sign them nine months down the line. Like so much can happen between that time. I also think a player is more likely to stay if he's with the team already, if the team has had a great season, the player put up good stats, everyone is happy, and the D-backs offer you a contract that's worth your value, then why wouldn't that player stay? I just think it makes more sense to acquire a player than maybe try to sign them the next offseason. So for the D-backs, I think the time is now. Don't be afraid to make moves. If there is a player that can help this team via the trade, then they should do it. And we'll name some trade candidates, some tier one trade candidates that the D-back should think about targeting this offseason right after we talk a little bit about FanDuel because score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. My favorite thing to do on FanDuel is the same game parlay. When the Saints are playing, you take the over on Alave yards, the under on car yards, and you take the Saints money line. Sometimes it hits, most of the time it doesn't, but I still love riding with that one. So please go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Welcome back into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. If you like the content, please follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for the personal account or look up Locked on Dimebacks wherever you stream podcasts. But now let's get back into the D-backs podcast. Let's talk about some tier one trade candidates that I think would be very enticing for the D-backs to go after this offseason. These are players who would be a little bit more expensive, guys that would break the bank, both in terms of the prospects potentially that you have to give up and the money that you have to pay them once you acquire them. And I'm going to start off hot. Number one off the bat, this is a team that apparently is dealing with financial issues, RIP to their owner, who they just lost this week as well, which could make it more likely that they trade this guy. I'm going with Juan Soto, born a day after me. We all know Juan Soto, elite superstar in Major League Baseball. He just had a down season with the San Diego Padres, where he had a 930 OPS and led the league in walks with 35 home runs and over 100 ribbies. That was a down season for Juan Soto. He is a superstar. No player in Major League Baseball, you could say, potentially commands the strike zone better than Juan Soto. This is a guy who's led the league in walks three times, led the league in OBP twice already, career 421 OBP. Like, this man just gets on base, elite command of the strike zone. Like, if you want to see something crazy, usually when you look at the strikeout percentage and walk percentage for most major leaguers, it's like K percentage between 18 to 24 percent and then walk percentage is like 8 to 12 percent 
For Juan Soto, it's flipped. This guy walks way more than he strikes out. For his career, 17% K rate, 19% walk rate. Whenever you walk more than you strike out, you are an elite major leaguer. Lefty, which I love too, plays some decent outfield. I would love this guy in the middle of your lineup. True superstar. And plus, you if you have a Corbin Carroll, Juan Soto outfield, you probably have the best outfield in Major League Baseball. Would absolutely love to steal him from the NOS rival. I doubt the Padres would want to trade him in division, but getting Juan Soto, I think, would be next level. But the issue is um, you would have to pay him a whole lot of money. Probably like 10 years, 350 or something very close to that. So that would be the issue um, or the, the drawback. But he is 25 years old. So I am pro giving a 25-year-old an 8 to 12-year deal um, if I'm the Arizona Diamondbacks. How about Corbin Burns? This is one of those players when you're talking about a pending free agent, just like a Juan Soto. A lot of these guys are pending free agents, and Corbin Burns is another pending free agent, born three days before me. Very hot late October birthdays for this trade candidate segment. Corbin Burns is an absolute stud. Cy Young in 2021, one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball over the last few seasons. Coming off a little bit of a down year by his standards, but still led the league in whip. Still had over 200 strikeouts. Still had almost 200 innings pitch. A pretty low ERA um, for most people's standards. By his standards, was probably a little bit high. But this guy is an elite strikeout artist. Elite and not walking people. Or... Maybe not elite and not walking people, elite and not giving up hits, elite and not giving up home runs. And I just think Corbin Burns is a competitor. I think if you put him in the front line, whether like if your number one is Corbin Burns and then Gallon's like your two now with Merrill Kelly, your three, or however you want to stack Gallon, Burns, Kelly. Like, that is a nasty one, two, three combination. And then all of a sudden, if Brandon Fott's your number four pitcher in that mix, your rotation looks absolutely nasty. Corbin Burns being 29 years of age now, he's probably going to command himself a pretty hefty contract as well. Pitchers entering their 30s on big deals usually doesn't fare well, but I wouldn't mind giving him like four years, $120 million. I'm pro overpaying pitchers if it's a shorter-term deal. A guy like a, a position player like Juan Soto, mid-20s, I'm okay going long-term, but for pitchers entering their early 30s, I don't mind overpaying if it's a short-term deal deal next up how about a little Shane Bieber action I feel like he's a guy that you either like him or you don't like him he was a little bit injured last season 3.8 year array 128 innings pitch like we didn't see the full Shane Bieber last season because he's just he kind of dealt with injuries last year he just didn't look right I think he battled through a lot of those injuries as well but when he did look right in 2022, this man was elite. Now the concern, his strikeout numbers are kind of going the wrong way, which you don't like to see. But Shane Bieber is still 28 years old. 2022, 200 innings pitch, 200 strikeouts, a 288 ERA. I think Shane Bieber is absolutely nasty of a pitcher. And just another guy, if you put him in this D-backs rotation, like think about the ceiling of that rotation now with a uh, with a Shane Bieber in the mix, maybe he's not as good of a Corbin Burns, but I think I think it's a real argument. He probably is as good of a Corbin Burns. Um, I think the argument for Shane Bieber is how much 
was last season. Like, how much can you take from that going forward? How much should that concern you? Look at some of the numbers on his pitches last year. Like, his cutter was lit up last year, 319 average on his cutter, when just the year prior, um, it was his fourth most used pitch. This past season, it was the second most used pitch, and opposing batters teed off on that. So when you look at the numbers for a Shane Bieber, how much should you be concerned? He's a guy who already, his fastball sits in the low 90s, 91 miles an hour. So he's not like Corbin Burns throwing 97, blowing it by you. He's a little bit more of a, I got to hit my spots kind of a pitcher. So how much does that worry you going forward? I still think Shane Bieber is a guy, three years, four years, I'll give a pretty fat contract to. So I would mind not at all bringing Shane Bieber in the building. This next guy, a little bit more controversial because he's a stud when healthy, but I think when you think about the team that would be trading him, this team fleeces other teams, and the fact that he's dealt with so many injuries is also a concern. Tyler Glass now of the Tampa Bay Rays. I did not know this until I did research. The man is 6'8", 225. He is a basketball player, very imposing. And for Glass now, the issue is he's just been so hurt the last few seasons and really his whole career. When you go back to 2019, 60 innings pitch for the Tampa Bay Rays. 2021, 88 innings. 2022, 6.2 innings. This past season, career high in innings for Tyler Glass now, 120 innings. I don't know if that makes you feel good as he turned the age of 30, if 120 innings as his career high makes you feel good. Glass now is someone that I would be willing to roll the dice on, but he's not someone that I would break the bank for. He's not someone that I would give up the Drew Jones and the Brandon Fox for. If you want to give up the Blake Walstons or the Dominic Fletchers of the world to acquire him, sure. But for him, I'm in a glass now, but it would depend on the returning price back to Tampa Bay because the glass now, it's in his name. He might be made of glass, but when he is healthy, there might not be many pitchers better than a Tyler Glass now. I mean, even if you just look at his numbers from just last season, Glass now put up a 3.53 year rate, which is nothing crazy, but 1.83 whip, 12.2 strikeouts per nine. And that whip the last couple of seasons, like, has been elite when he's been healthy. Glass now, he's a pitcher that can throw in the upper 90s. 96, 97 on his fastball. Did lose a tick off his fastball in 2022, but you could, or excuse me, from this past season as opposed to 2022, but you can make the argument it's because he's coming back from injury. Maybe he's still building up that arm strength. So we could see an even better version of Glass now in 2024. And if he does, if he is able to remain healthy, Glass now could be a major steal for a team this offseason. And why not let it be? the Arizona Diamondbacks. Then the last tier one player that I think the D-backs should consider going after is a Dylan Cease, who might be a little bit cheaper in terms of what you have to give up because he's coming off the worst season of anybody we just mentioned. But I do still think Dylan Cease is a stud. And he's also the youngest pitcher, 27 years of age, coming off a season where he had a four, five, eight year ray. Not good, but still double digit strikeouts per nine. You look at his 2022, 2.2 ERA last season, over 200 strikeouts, double-digit strikeouts per nine, a 1.1 whip, like finished second in Cy Young voting in 2022. Like I think Dylan Cease is an 
absolute stud who is just coming off a bad year because of the situation he's in. I think that White Sox organization is just straight up toxic. I don't even blame him for the numbers he put up this year because I think it was more of the situation he's in. I think if you put Dylan Cease in a different environment, he's a lot better of a player because you just go up and down that that lineup. Like, how many dudes had a terrible season this year for the White Sox? Tim Anderson was awful. Eloy Jimenez, awful. Luis Robert was good for, like, the first half of the season. Did have 38 home runs, but I, you look at a slash line, it wasn't, like, something elite. Yoan Moncada was not very good as well. Like, I just think the vibes were bad for the Chicago White Sox. Kopech was bad. Lance Lynn was bad. Like, I just hated the vibes. I think if you put Dylan Cease in a different environment, he can thrive again. I think that environment can be Arizona. Now, we'll talk about players who weren't thriving for the D-backs this past season. Players who are returning, players who are returning next season but shouldn't be returning. That's what we're going to be discussing next. Welcome back to the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. And let's talk about players who are returning next season that shouldn't be. Because I got a couple players written down here who are under contract for the D-backs in 2024. But based off the sample size we saw from the D-backs this past season in their career sample size, maybe the rope that the D-backs gave these guys should be no longer and should be cut off because the D-backs, as we keep saying on all these podcasts post-World Series, the D-backs are now in win-now mode. and They need to maximize this core, this roster, and build a sustainable winner. And that starts by cutting some of the dead wood from this roster. And the first player, that sounds very aggressive, so I'm sorry for the players I'm about to talk about here, but... Jace Peterson, first up. Listen, Jace, you're a nice guy, but I just don't think you're very good at Major League Baseball. Of course, you got there. You were good at something, but on the Major League level, you don't really have power. You don't hit for average. You don't get on base. Um, the strikeout numbers, not the greatest. 22% for his career, 24% from this past season, 26% in 2022. The walk rate is just fine, but... The hard contact is not there. Like when I think of a Jace Peterson, what can he provide for me? Is he fast? Like he did steal 15 bases this past season. Like I, that's fine, I guess. But the D-backs have enough speedsters on their roster. Like I just don't know the skill that Jace Peterson brings to the team that elevates the ceiling of my roster. How does he help this D-backs team win games in 2024? What skill does he provide? What does he do for the D-backs team to make himself a winning player? I don't know. I don't know how he would help this D-backs team next season, what role he could have, what skill he could provide to raise the ceiling of this team. So because of those reasons, Jace Peterson, the end of the rope should probably be here for you now. How about a little Paven Smith, friend of the pod, the first D-backs player I've ever had on the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. I have a big soft spot in my heart for Paven Smith, but He's not very good at Major League Baseball, and that pains me to say because I truly do love Paven Smith as a person. But this D-backs team, I want to get back to another World Series, and I don't see how we get there with Paven Smith if he takes another 
228 plate appearances like he did this past season. He batted below 200 for the D-backs in the regular season. He's a career 240 hitter with a below 700 OPS. He's not a power guy. He's supposed to be a contact hitter. He looked like a solid contact hitter his first couple years with the D-backs up until through 2021, he looked like a decent contact hitter. Um, But he's just kind of fallen off a map. We know offensively he's not very good, and he's even worse defensively, and that's kind of the issue for Paven Smith. You can't really play him anywhere on the diamond. Came up as a first baseman, terrible defensive first baseman. D-back tried to move him to right field, but terrible judgment and instincts when tracking balls. Super terrible arm, too, in terms of both strength and just accuracy overall. So it's like he's another one where it's like what skill can he bring? I think he can be a decent contact hitter, but that's just like a singles machine. Like I think the best version of Paven Smith is a DH that only hits singles. I just doesn't I just don't think that really helps you in today's game. So because of that, Paven Smith, unfortunately, I'm out. Scott McGuff also got a contract for next season. And the D-backs should find a way to renege that contract because Scott McGuff was not good for the D-backs this past year. 4-7-3 year Ray. Gave up 14 home runs too. And just 70 innings pitch, a 1.28 whip. He did have double-digit strikeouts per nine, but there was just never a situation at the end of the game where Scott McGuff came in and you felt good about your chances of winning that game. When you look at Scott McGuff in safe situations, a 4.26 ERA. In non-safe situations, a 5.27 ERA. So we tried to bring him in as a closer for the D-backs this season. He struggled in that area to the tune of an ERA north of four. So the D-backs were like, let's put him in a lower leverage situation. And he struggled even more in that kind of situation. So if he's not good as a closer, if he's not good in high leverage moments, if he's not good in non-safe situations, when can you put Scott McGuff in a game? The answer is you can't. And because of that, Scott McGuff, I'm out. And the final guy, I don't even have to talk long about him because we're all off this guy, Miguel Castro, 6'7", long, lanky, but quite frankly, just isn't good enough. 4-3-1 ERA this past season. And for his career, he's a 4-1-5 ERA. Like, we should not be surprised with the numbers that Castro put up this past year. The issue is, we brought him in as a strikeout artist, and his strikeout numbers went in the decline. Like, you look at his strikeout numbers the past couple years, 2022, 9.6 strikeouts per nine. 2021, 9.9. It was 13.9 in 2020, of course, of course the COVID-shortened season. But this past year, just 8.4 strikeouts per nine. And the whole D-backs philosophy when building their bullpen the past offseason was getting guys that could strike out someone in a high-leverage moment. And Castro was neither effective in high-leverage moments and he couldn't strike out that person either. So why are we bringing him back? We just shouldn't. So that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Diebacks podcast. Peterson, Paven Smith, Scott McGuff, and Miguel Castro, please, I love you guys as people, but as players, don't come back to the D-backs next season. Even though you're getting paid to come back to the D-backs next year, the D-backs need to find a way to get those contracts off the books. So that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Doses.